My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Akua Benjamin and Ronaldo Walcott. Today's guests point to a consistent pattern over the last 50 or 60 years of history in Canada. On the one hand, black people and black communities have, over that time, been deeply involved in and often at the forefront of a wide range of struggles for justice, for human rights, for freedom, for thriving. On the other hand, it has been almost invariable, even in the context of generalized anti-racist organizing, that when those struggles win something, some enhanced rights, some resources going to meet a need, black people and black communities specifically get left behind. There's a longer trajectory to this, and it connects to ways of thinking about the different histories and different social logics underlying different forms of racism, but the bottom line is this. There's something specific about anti-black racism that needs to be named and needs to be resisted. Akua Benjamin and Ronaldo Walcott are prominent black activists and academics in the Canadian context. Benjamin has been involved in community struggles in Toronto since the late 1960s and is a professor in the School of Social Work at Ryerson University. Walcott is both the director of the Women and Gender Studies Institute and a member of the Department of Social Justice Education at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education at the University of Toronto. A couple of years ago, they were having lunch, talking about the problems facing black communities in Toronto, and they decided the time was right to bring together scholars, professionals, and community activists from Toronto's black communities to collectively intervene in public debates and struggles. Thus, the Anti-Black Racism Network was born. The network's first and most visible public involvement has been around the question of what is currently getting called police carding the practice of police stopping people outside of the context of any specific investigation, taking their information, and putting it in a database. This practice has consistently been shown to disproportionately harm black people, particularly young black men, and has never been shown to have any impact on reducing crime. And it's the latest way of naming a long, long history in which black people have been targeted by police harassment and violence in North America. The network has also begun to take up questions of the overrepresentation of black children in the child welfare system, and they have plans to get active on a wide range of policy issues, from housing to health, from education to human rights, with a specific focus on naming and challenging anti-blackness. The Anti-Black Racism Network is also planning its first major conference, which will be happening at Ryerson University in Toronto on February 19th and 20th. The themes for the event are community, resistance, and criminalization, and it will include the inaugural Akua Benjamin Public Lecture to commemorate 50 years of black activism and resistance in Toronto and to honor a number of late black leaders in those struggles. Benjamin and Walcott talk with me about anti-black racism, about histories of resistance in Toronto, about the work of the Anti-Black Racism Network, and about the upcoming conference. We spoke by Skype to phone from Toronto. My name is Akua Benjamin. 
I'm a professor in the School of Social Work at Ryerson University, and I've been there for over 25 years. I am also been with my community, the black community in Toronto, since 1969, and from 69 up until today, continue to work on a variety of different social issues that impact negatively our community, from education to criminal justice, to child welfare, to health issues, to housing issues. So over these years, we've had organizations, individuals working in the black community to bring about changes. What we found, of course, in working with these is that we have to attack many problems. The key to all of these issues is the issue of marginalization, oppression, based on the issue of race. And so the focus of my work has been mainly around looking at issues of race. I've also worked in the women's community around gender issues and race, so how these intersect. And I've also worked in a variety of other social justice issues and causes. My name is Ronaldo Walcott, and I'm the director of the Women and Gender Studies Institute at the University of Toronto. And I'm also a member of the Department of Social Justice Education at OECD University of Toronto. I'm an associate professor of Black Cultural Studies. Myself and my colleague, Akua, were the catalysts for the network coming together. We had sat down for lunch two or three summers ago, and we're talking about various issues that were affecting the Black community, everything from policing to child welfare to housing to health. And at that time, we felt that the time had come for scholars and professionals who work in these fields who were Black to begin to much more formally impact the kind of policy debate and politics around issues that affect black life in Canada, but beginning with Toronto, since that's where Canada's largest black community is. So we invited people who we felt might be interested in such a network, and sure enough, a range of academics, professionals, and activists showed up at the table, and we've been going ever since. The first major issue that we've worked quite a bit on is Cardin, but questions of children in care are on our agenda as well, as well as a range of issues. The upcoming conference is our first major conference. Now, there are histories of black people that go way back in Canada, from the loyalists, from the Maroons who came, from the slaves who were here. But talking particularly of some of the movements here in this city. There hasn't been a time that I know of when there hasn't been a myriad of critical issues that impact our community. I begin with immigration. Black people were the last group of people, if you will, to be allowed to enter Canada. And the only reason that they came was to fill a pool of cheap labor. So particularly here, beginning with domestic workers who came to Canada in the 1950s and 60s, that you have this issue of the marginalization, the lack of representation, if you will, the kinds of conditions that black people have lived under, continue to live under in the cities. So domestic workers, for instance, their conditions were really, really terrible. And 
this group was not allowed when they first came to remain in Canada. They had to fulfill their work obligations and then they had to return to the countries from which they came. The conditions under which they worked were awful. And it took a lot of activism, a lot of organizing with those women to get to change the policy for domestic workers. There's also issues around the sleeping car porters. These are people who worked on the railroads here and, again, faced a lot of discrimination. So from those issues coming right up to education, one of the things that I recall here was the Toronto Board of Education having material that was quite racist in their libraries. And it took a movement of people here to begin the removal of these kinds of images. There have been studies here to show from way back when up until today the increasing failure rate of black students in the school system. And so part of what we've pushed is also for a black-focused school. And we have this focused school today, except that it is not well-resourced, it is marginalized, and it comes under a kind of scrutiny which we find damages the image of this school rather than to support it. So education has been a critical issue from way back until today. Employment is an issue. There's underrepresentation of blacks in key areas of the workforce. The network picked up on the critical current issues of racial profiling and carding. But the issues of criminal justice, again, have been also historic in our community, from the shooting of black men in the 70s, 80s, 90s, Right up to today where we find, again, this issue of the criminalizing of young black men in the criminal justice system. And today the other issue that, as Rinaldo says, that we're looking at is the issue of the overrepresentation of black children in the CASs. We have an overrepresentation of black children in care. These are two critical issues. There are many others, but these are the ones that we find right now in the forefront that we are focusing and addressing. So once you'd come up with the idea for the network, what steps did you take to begin bringing people together? We identified people who we knew would have a scholarly and professional or activist interest in the kinds of issues and ideas that we wanted to work on. And particularly, we identified people who we felt would be interested in working on these questions through a lens of anti-black racism. So we sent an invitation out, inviting people to come to an initial meeting, and that's how we got rolling. Talk about the political importance, the practical importance of having a focus specifically on anti-Black racism as opposed to a more general anti-racism focus. One of the things that's really important to note in that history that Akua just laid out for you is the central role that Black people have played in issues of public education and accountability, in issues of policing, in issues of migration and immigration long policy in Canada, among a range of other kinds of things. But one of the things that we've noticed over that same 50, 60 year period is that as much as black people are out front articulating the issues and struggling for policy change and political change, when actual change happens, what we've found over the years is that black people are left behind. So we raise the issues, we put our bodies on the line, but when the amelioration comes, we are left behind. And so we felt that it was a particularly important historical moment now 
to begin to look at these things again, to look at the ways in which black people have really led powerfully across this country on a range of different issues, to look at how it is that we get left behind. And we thought that the only way that we could actually do that in a substantive way, in a scholarly way, in a really important political way, was to focus on black people only. So we don't do that to say that coalition and solidarity is not important, but we do that to say that when we look at the specificity of black life in Canada, another kind of story emerges around the ways in which policy and politics has in fact harmed many of us. So that's the importance for us of using the anti-black racism lens to address contemporary concerns, particularly of policing, of health care, of children in care, and so on. So recognizing that the network is and certainly will be working on many different issues, maybe talk in a little bit more detail about police carding in particular as sort of an example of the network's work about what carding is and about the ways that the network has been intervening in the public debate around carding. I really want to give a backdrop to the carding issue because somehow I think there's a portrayal as though carding is a new issue in our community. Carding is not new. Perhaps the naming of it as carding has become more formalized since it's been highlighted in the press. But Black men, particularly young black men, have always complained about being stopped, harassed by police for no apparent reason than because they're black. And so it has been addressed over and over and over again that the black bodies then have been marked in this city as we in the community say that we are the problem people, if you will, quote unquote. So black bodies are marked as problematic, not only by police, but in other institutions as well. And I think that because it made the press the Toronto Star, then it became a huge issue in the public domain, but it's an issue continuously in our community, to the point where I think through the network I felt, and I've expressed the fact as though we're in another apartheid state here, as though black men has to be stopped, produce an identification to prove who they are, to prove that they're worthy to be where they are, to prove that they belong to the society. There are so many negative impacts, not only when they stop and being carded, but it goes into a data bank that often follows these young people, particularly in terms of getting jobs or moving their life forward. We decided then, given the fact that now, because of its heightened kind of issue, and because I think of the state's response of dragging their heels, not seeing the seriousness of this issue, nothing was coming from the city, nothing was coming out very much from the province around this issue, that we added with others had to bring it to the fore of public attention. This is a critical issue that needs to be addressed and yet very little was being done or very little was being said about it. And so the issue, I think, for us in terms of making sure that black lives do matter, and today it still isn't substantively addressed. There have been some changes in the regulations, so it can hide itself under new statements, but the issues continue. We knew that there's research out there that shows that these kinds of practices don't work, 
We also knew from our own research that in all the major cities that call themselves global cities, whether it's Toronto, Miami, London, New York, that these practices were largely targeting black people. And we felt all of that needed to be on the table so that public conversation and discourse around Cardin could take a different turn from simply one of the ongoing long historical demonizing of black people to even show that their own demonizing did not work. So we knew that there was enough evidence out there to point to the ways in which practices of Cardin are indeed discriminatory. And as Akko just said, even the new policy that they seek to bring in, we already know that this policy is actually not any change in the practice. We see our work as intervening at that level and raising these questions and putting the evidence on the table. For a really long time, the evidence on the table about black people, in many ways, came from our enemies, came from those who want to keep us in particular kinds of positions. But many of us have now, not as many as should be, but there are enough of us in universities and in professional organizations where we share the expertise of understanding what these policies mean, understanding how they're implemented, disproportionate, disadvantageous to certain communities, particularly black communities. And we think it's time that we intervene. So we've made public statements through press conferences. We've joined with the African-Canadian Legal Clinic. They provide a lot of the legal backdrop and legal arguments to this, and they've had a number of different statements, press conferences to publicize this issue. We sit as part of a network of people to talk about changes to the regulation. We've also, however, met with the new police chief to recognize that he is the first black police chief in this town, and to draw his attention, I think, of a sense of responsibility, not only to the larger community, but I think particularly to this black community who keep raising this issue to address this issue. So it's been in the media for us. We've taken a position on it publicly, written about it, and also done the kind of resistive work, if you will, with people in our own community. We're trying to also address this with the Premier herself to make some statements about this. And I think the regulation change that was proposed is a way of the Premier beginning to advance that. But so far, I'm not quite happy with the direction of this change. I mean, a clear statement has to come out saying that carding has to stop, that you can't obfuscate the issue about black men being harassed and jailed and being further marginalized as though they're a persona non grata in this country. You can't continue talking about a democracy and democratic principles and we're the best, you know, we're known because this is the most diversity in Canada. We're welcoming new refugees here as a safe haven for people coming in out of the cold, out of terrible conditions. And you have populations here, particularly black populations that are being marginalized every day. And at the same time, you know, put forward this position that Canada is welcoming to all and sundry as the hub of democracy and the hub of inclusion and the hub of equity. We as part of this community, this black community, fought for those equity laws, fought that this city recognized the issue about inclusion, fought for us to be part of diversity, you know. We've been part of all of those tables and those discussions. We've helped to shape this welcoming place. But we do so with this critical lens that at the same time we're doing that, at the same time we have the deepening of an a more sophisticated, if you will, sometimes racism that is allowed. And this is why, mm-hmm. as Ronaldo says, we move to addressing anti-black racism, that this isn't just racism. 
this is a particular kind of racism that really impacts blacks. Tell me about the conference that you have coming up. What a wonderful, exhilarating conference this is going to be. The title of the conference on issues that we're looking at, we're looking at the three main pillars to the conference. This is a conference that is going to deal with community, is going to deal with resistance, and it's going to speak to issues of criminalization. We have, in such a gathering, we've brought people from the communities, community agencies, people working in institutions, and academics. And it's exciting because, to my mind, we've never had a conference of this type. We've never had a conference that has really led in terms of the concept of anti-black racism, one, and we've never really focused in terms of, although we've had people working in these areas, but to bring a gathering, to talk from the space of a community, talk from the space of the agencies, and to talk from the institutions, particularly the academy. We've let the academy, I think, a lot of times off the hook as though, you know, racism is not within these institutional wars. And we know they are because there's an underrepresentation of black faculty in key tenure positions and as administrators in these institutions. And so even our curriculum that is based on the canons of Western knowledge, sometimes it's a struggle to get institutions to change that focus. So this conference brings all of these elements together for us to begin the conversations, begin the exchanges, begin the education of each other around how do we present anti-black racism in a way that is resistive and seeking policy changes, you know, changes in practice. And beyond the conference, what else is coming up for the network in the next while? My colleagues at the network have been doing some work around the Ontario Anti-Racism Secretariat and making sure that the Wynn government moves on that and moves on it in a substantive way, in a way that anti-black racism will be central to its mandate and its focus. So we are going to do some more work around that. But I think that for me personally, the children and care issue is one that is deeply striking and that we have to do work on because this is an issue that takes us all the way back to transatlantic slavery, mm -hmm. where first the black family was not to even be a family, and then when through resistance and struggle, the black family would be recognized. From that moment until our present time, we've lived in a structure where the black family is always on the mind. Mm -hmm. And children in care really represents that significant ongoing historical undermining of the black yeah, family. Yeah. So that's something that I'm personally committed to seeing, to convincing my colleagues in the network that it must be our next major priority. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, the question of carding is still there <laughs> and the weak legislation. So we're going to be working on multiple things at the same time. One of the things that really caught my attention when I saw some of the publicity for the conference is that there's going to be a keynote lecture looking back at 50 years of resistance by black communities in Toronto. For each of you, in looking back on your experience and your knowledge of those 50 years of black resistance in Toronto, what do you draw from that history that you find most inspiring and most relevant to the work that needs to happen today? I love your question because this is the hallmark for me of a gathering of black people that we get to celebrate, not only talk about the issues, but to celebrate our past, to bring the past to the present. A lot of our young people say they know very little about our past. 
they know very little that how we ended up here in Canada was because of blacks and other people pushing immigration to be inclusive, to stop race as a category in terms of denying people the right to migrate to this country. They know very little that the human rights development, that black people were involved in that in development of that institution. I'm really happy about a gathering like this because of its impact on my life. And my life, when I came to Canada, knowing very little about this country, there were black people at an institution called the Universal Negro Improvement Association, UIA, at 355 College Street. African Canadians who had been here for a long time, domestic workers who were here, people who were working on the Underground Railroad. I'm talking about and giving us an education about how to really deal with, which was then a virulent form of racism. I remember there were newspapers that says no Jews, no blacks, no dogs in one newspaper that I looked at. Housing was difficult. I want this conference that we can talk about the past, not only the past in terms of the racism that people were up against, but how people resisted, how they found community, how they found support and how that was so sustaining to us. I really want to have people know something about the fact that our very sustenance, our very existence, and the fact that we've grown in the numbers that we've grown, have a lot to do with the people who were at 355 College Street, who were, you know, talking about immigration and talking about education and developing a culture, if you will, of community. And I think that that's one of the key things about this conference where we talk about the issues we're talking about, a lived everyday reality of resistance. Joyous in that, celebrating that, knowing who we are through all the murky, what I like to call the mucky muck of racism. And if I might add, at the conference, one of our keynote speakers, Dr. Wanda Bernard, will take us to a Black Canadian history that exceeds the Second World War migration. So as a Black Nova Scotian, she will bring to the conversation that much longer Black Canadian history that has also been silenced and made invisible and that we constantly have to assert is a continuation of that post-war immigration. Black people have been migrating to Canada since before Confederation. This is Black History Month, and we don't simply want to just celebrate the month because Black history is every day. But nevertheless, in capturing this conference, the issues about our contribution, our resistance, our everyday lived realities that begins way back when has to be conveyed as well. This is not a new issue. This is not something that is Toronto-centric. This is Canada-wide. And this is a conference that at the same time that we're dealing with all the structural issues, we're talking about celebrating our past as well, celebrating that we've survived all of these and we've survived not by dint of the goodness of anybody's heart, but through hard work and struggle. We're not a problem people. We're a joyous, resistive community always ready to engage and so because our survival has depended upon our struggle, our resistance, and it continues to be so, and that needs to be celebrated. You have been listening to my interview with Akua Benjamin and Ronaldo Walcott of the Anti-Black Racism Network. To learn more about their work and about the conference they have planned, search for Ryerson University and the Anti-Black Racism Network in your favorite search engine. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, 
go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.